Welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're catching up with Ella Bredauer. Ella is here to talk about her female self-supported FKT on the Benton Mackay Trail. She covered the 289.7 miles in eight days, three hours, and 58 minutes. Thanks, Ella, for coming on the show today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I was really excited to hear from you, and I feel very honored. And I was excited to find out that you're the new host, too, because you are one of my, you know, as I was getting ready for chatting with you, I'm like, okay, who are my inspirations? And reading your books has really helped me move forward in doing self-supported things that are a little bit longer. So thank you. Yeah, that was actually my first question. You know, when I was researching you, I saw you have like seven other FKTs on the site, and I'm sure you've done a lot of other things too. But this Benton Mackay attempt is by far the longest, and it's a self-supported. What sent you down that path? Interesting journey. So through hiking is more my background. So I did my first through hike on the Appalachian Trail when I was 22. And it took me six months. So I was on the leisurely path and it was very social. And then my husband a few years ago was like, hey, I'm really jealous that you through hiked. Can we through hike? And I was like, sure. So my husband and I through hiked in 2019 and it took us 100 days. So at double the age, I was 44 then. I went so much faster and I felt so much more capable. Last year, I did a self-supported attempt on the AT. I just didn't finish. I got a quarter of the way through. I made it basically to Parisburg before I had an ankle injury. That ended up being 22 days. It kind of gave me that taste for the longer self-supported, but also I recognized I might need a little more time, potentially night hiking or doing things on my own that just felt a little scarier than what I'd done before. And so that's actually what started my journey in 2021 into now, where I took a look at the FKT website for New Mexico. I recognized that there were very few of them that had women's times. And so that became kind of my training piece. I did the Skyline Trail, which is close to us here in Santa Fe, which ended up taking me, I think, right at 28 hours. So, I mean, I was definitely moving through the dark in the wilderness. And then the Guadalupe Peaks FKT I did, where, again, I was moving all night long in the dark. And I realized that was the piece that was missing potentially for me in my first FKT attempt on the AT. And that's what I took with me into this Benton Mackay FKT attempt. I love to hear how people build on their previous experiences and learn lessons from that. And then they take it forward and they apply it. You go out and you do something and then you realize, oh, you know, I think this is my limiting factor. And then you work on that and you're like, oh yeah, that was it. Yeah. And it totally was like, I wasn't used to spending time in the dark by myself. And that is definitely what I needed to work on. I'm friends with Michaela Osler, who's flyby, who has the FKT on the long trail. She had the CT. And I think that is this skill and talent she has just to like persevere through sleeplessness. That was definitely something for me when I started out on my FKT journey too. There's something unsettling about it when you haven't been out there, especially solo at night, even as a long distance runner when I've been on race courses. It's like I might be by myself, but I know that there are runners nearby somewhere, even I can't see them. It's very different to be out there all alone. It is. It is. My first longer overnight FKT that I did, the Skyline Trail, which is here in Santa Fe, that was one night hike where we definitely have mountain lions. That was a very deep wilderness experience. I saw one person the entire time and just moving through that process of acceptance of I'm out here and what's going to happen is going to happen. I think that one more than anything prepared me because I was my home base. That feeling of resignation happens and you're just like, meh. 
I'm moving on. I'm so tired. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I've definitely had that point where I'm like, you know what? Something's going to eat me. It's going to eat me, but I need to like set up my camp. That was something I noticed actually when I was reading your synopsis of your Bent Mackay hike. And you mentioned that you did several hours of pre-dawn hiking, but you had the luxury of being in camp before dark. And was that sort of your way of dealing with like maybe some lingering discomfort with being in the dark? It was. And I also, you know, I had the luxury of the fact there wasn't a women's FKT. So I could have pushed myself more. The first day I couldn't start until noon because my shuttle from Atlanta, like I got off a plane, got on a shuttle, went to Davenport Gap in Tennessee and just got out of the car and went. And so it was 1 p.m. before I started hiking that day in the Smokies. And so I basically did what I could, which ended up being like 22 miles. And so that was the night where I was in the Smokies, getting to my campsite at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And so I hiked in the dark and I kind of recognized my gear choice was a little off. I had my little Nightcore tiny rechargeable headlamp. I have a bigger pencil that has a broader beam. Had I brought that, I probably would have done more night hiking, but you know, I was limited by the tool I chose to bring and it didn't make me as comfortable as the pencil that I have, the Swift. I think that was part in my decision-making too. And also like hiking in the early mornings, like some mornings I started at 3.30 or 4, so I was still going three hours in the dark, but morning dark felt very different than I think nighttime dark to me. Yeah, I've noticed that having done quite a bit of pre-dawn and night hiking, and there is a definitely a different quality to it in the morning. I feel like for me, hiking into the night, it's only getting darker and you feel the night forest waking up. And then when you're hiking in the pre-dawn, it's only getting lighter and you feel that the changing of the guard has kind of happened. The night animals have kind of already gone to bed or they're on their way, you know, and then the first couple birds start chirping. It's a much more feeling of like hopefulness and a lot less of this like unsettled feeling where you're hiking into yes. the dark. Yeah, that was exactly my take. I did make that conscious decision to get myself in camp by dark set up and then I would get up whenever I chose to in the morning, which progressively got earlier. But you're right. I knew that anticipation of an hour before sunrise, the birds are going to start chirping. And there is something very hopeful in morning darkness. I had animal counters in the morning. I knew what sounds I was hearing. So I was less, you know, I, I was less stressed about them. I did run into a couple bears, one in the darkness of the morning, and it was just huffing and trying to get away. I hadn't really been around the wild or feral pigs either in Appalachia. I don't know how I had missed out on that on the AT, but on the Benton Mike High Trail, they were everywhere and rooting up huge parts of the trail. But I learned they're like strange shriek, oink noise in the middle of the night. And then they just bust down the hillsides and knock down everything. So just being comfortable with those sounds and wildlife, I really appreciate. And so that was a very comforting thing to know what I was hearing. And then on the last morning, I did run into some kind of big cat. That was my one nerve wracking piece. So you mentioned like learning their sounds because that's something over my decades of hiking and spending time in the woods. I don't even have to see the animal anymore. I can usually recognize the sound. We joke around. My husband like thinks it's funny because I'll be like, I hear the bear noise, you know, and we may not see it, but I'm like, I hear the bear noise, you know, and the Benton Mackay is very interesting because I definitely feel like because it's more remote, you see a lot more wildlife. We saw so many bears and feral hogs like when we hiked it. And it's like, you don't really see that on the AT because there's too many people. And so they've moved off that corridor. 
Yeah. I saw people in the Smokies at night when I was camping just because the park service, you're in set campsites. But after that, I saw maybe three people for the rest of the time on the trail. Mm -hmm. So very different than the Appalachian Trail. My first AT hike was probably similar in time frame to your first AT hike. It was the early 2000s. And even then the AT was a busy place. I feel like when I hiked the BMT, I was like, this is probably what the AT must have been like in like maybe the 80s, like maybe the late 70s. It definitely felt like untraveled. Just doing a little research on the BMT, there was a quote by someone that was exactly that point. If you want to feel what the AT was like way back, get on the Benton Mackay Trail because you have similar topography. I think that there's probably some sections of the Benton Mackay that are harder than the paralleling sections on the AT. And and that may be because the AT has been improved over time because of use. That climb up into... Joyce Kilmer wilderness or something. I was like, when is this going to end? Like, yeah, such a steep climb. Definitely. This is why I feel horrible because I have been climbing nonstop. The last day on the Benton Mackay Trail, it was like 10,000 feet of elevation gain, which for us here in Santa Fe, that's a big day. Yeah, there's a lot of up and down on the Benton Mackay. And you mentioned like how your headlamp maybe was a little bit inadequate. Were there any other gear items that you switched out for this attempt versus other things you've done? No, you know, I almost switched packs and then I thought the better of it. I have a Palante Joey and so a little 24 liter pack and it has served me so well in many adventures. My gear is pretty dialed. I've got a sleeping, a quilt, a really ultralight sleeping pad, not too many other things with me. I do use a small solo tent, a little Plexamid that's like 13 ounces. Yeah, my gear overall was pretty good. The one thing that I added that has stressed me out in the past was more power. And so I had a 10,000 milliamp battery bank on the AT FKT attempt, and it was stressing me out all the time in terms of charging my watch and charging my inReach and charging my headlamp and my phone that I brought a heavier 20,000 milliamp battery bank. And for that was huge because it was just peace of mind that I didn't need to stop anywhere, that it was going to be enough. I think that was really positive change. Yeah, it's interesting. Like That's a challenge I feel like that has become very much a part of FKTs that isn't really something that people would have worried about even 10 years ago. Like the powering of the devices, because not only do you have to power your documentation devices, but your navigation devices, and some people are charging their headlamps off of it. There's just all these things And it's like anytime you're spending plugged into a wall, you are losing time on your FKT. Definitely. And even how much time you're spending plugged in at night to make sure your devices are ready for the next day, because I would settle in and eat. And actually, before I ate, I set up my tent and my camp. And then I was like plugging in devices because I knew that it was this duration of a pretty long amount of time that hour, hour plus that I needed to charge devices. So it was part of my nightly ritual too. Yeah, it's something you have to stay on top of. And you have to take into consideration the amount of time you might spend sitting somewhere to charge versus how much carrying the heavier battery pack slows you down. And like that trade-off, like the weight on your back versus the time sitting down and deciding it's kind of a hard balance to figure out. It is. My husband and I actually have permits for the PCT this summer, southbound. I'm like, nope, I'm taking the 20,000 milliamp. My base weight can go up just that little bit, or I can leave a pair of socks at home or something. Um, If I ever do an FKT again, that is the one thing that I need to figure out for myself too. 
and then the other thing, it's not necessarily gear related, but food, you know, food's always a challenge. I had talked to, to Michaela before the trip and asked her about her unsupported long trail FKT. And I knew food was an issue for her on that FKT. And I was like, well, what would you have changed? And she said, oh, more liquid calories. And I didn't really compute what that meant. But by day five for me on the Benton Mackay Trail, eating was my big issue. Like chewing became hard. Nothing tasted good. It was hard to swallow. And like all I could dream about was carnation instant breakfast. I was like, if I had carnation instant breakfast, it would all be fine. Everything so would be better. It would be better. Um because she had told me stories of like dissolving up cookies and things in water. And I finally got it. I'm like, oh, that's where I am right now. And I think for me, that's a heat response. It was actually pretty hot compared to what I'd come from in Santa Fe, hot and humid. And so that was a piece that was kind of out of my control that it, it did hurt me. I mean, from day five on, it was really hard to eat. Like I stopped wanting dinner. I stopped feeling like I could drink whatever I want because I was nauseous. And so that's going to be in my next piece of improvement is that food piece. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things like when your stomach goes, you have to keep eating. But if you don't have, especially on a self-supported or an unsupported effort, you have to know what you're going to need to eat, even if everything goes wrong, like before you even start. And yeah, it's a really challenging piece of the puzzle for sure. I'm really like kind of surprised. I saw you only did two resupplies, but you had a 24 liter pack. What kind of like micro food were you carrying? Like this thing's pretty magical to me that you were able to put your resupplies in that. Yeah. um, Well, and it's something, I mean, when I was on the AT, I had the Joey too. So I think I've just learned to pack things very small and I'm always cognizant of how much space it's taking up. And I can get my food bag for three or four days pretty like two liter capacity. But on this trip, I did a lot of pro bars that pack smell. Honey stinger waffles were kind of a mainstay because they're flat and they're like an ounce. So you get a Mm. lot of different snacks over the course of the day, but it's not that much space or weight. And then I've been a big beans and rice, like instant beans with just like an instant rice. And so that they, it packs down really small. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's always been something for me is like volume of food. I've been working on it a long time and I think I've reached the point where I got it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's true when you're when you're really packing with that intent. There are a lot of options out there. When I'm not packing with that intent, I'm always the person walking out of my resupply with somehow like two or three bags of chips and popcorn. And then I'm like, yeah, these don't all fit. (laughs) So I'm always like amazed when people can like pack it down into really tiny. I'm just like, no, my food is all fluffy. Yeah. Although you reading your AT book, like talking about hiking out of town with popcorn and stuff. I was like, oh, that sounds wonderful. You know, those high volume, but light things that can just strap on the outside, which my Joey does a good job of expanding Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I think that's key with any pack is having that ability to expand it and also like snug it down when it's not really full being able to have that versatility yeah and I think also being kind of spartan on the rest of the things that I carry too helps so I just have that space for food because I I think my food bag probably takes up a third of the space in the pack that's as it should be yeah yeah definitely because I think my base weight on the Benton Mackay was like six and a half pounds so wow didn't have too much with me yeah Yeah, I saw that you said it seems like you mixed in a lot of of running with your effort. Is that typically the modality you do is mixing in running and hiking or was this new for the effort? That's what I've been doing. I ran the downhills, you know, 
having done the Benton McKay Trail, there's a lot of roadbeds that you're on and at Forest Service roads, it's really mixed terrain. And so anything that was downhill, I tried to run. And I found it actually easier than running on the Appalachian Trail. I mean, it was less rooty and rocky. And then if I had it in me, I was running flats. And sometimes at the end of the day, I just couldn't do it anymore. But again, going into it, that's where my pack weight was so important to me because I knew I was going to have to run some with it. And the running did help. I mean, and I would say the bulk of it was happening in the mornings. But last year when I did my FKT attempt on the AT going northbound, I had the week before I was supposed to leave, done one last training run and fallen and tore my hamstring. And so that was a heartbreaker last year for me to not be able to run. So I, I really wasn't able to till the end of the summer into the fall. So it was kind of joyous to have that gift on the Benton Mackay Trail. Yeah, getting injured right before something big like that is always a heartbreaker. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me afraid too. I think I had a little PTSD. I just tripped over a rock and one red leg went forward and the other leg stayed behind. And, you know, mm. I hadn't had an injury where I was just laying there. I couldn't walk. I had a friend with me and she had to help me down the mile that was left. And so it made me afraid of running downhill for a little while mm. too. I love to run downhill, but I have taken some pretty bad falls over the years and it does it's like it's so much fun and like joyous to be running downhill but it, there's some severe consequences when you are no longer on your feet <laughs> that is exactly right I think the older I've gotten you know I'm gonna be 47 this year or in like a month I'm like oh gosh there's so many consequences to falling I've learned and I never had that fear in my 20s and even my 30s my body doesn't stretch as well as it used to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely started to notice that too. Now that I'm in my 40s as well. It's like, oh, you know, I go a little slower down the hill now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we still do it. We still do it. That's yeah. the important thing. I'm curious why you chose the southbound direction for the BMT. Well, I chose Southbound because I actually was hoping that I could connect it to the Pinhoti Trail, which didn't oh. work out time-wise with what leave I had from work. So I ended up just doing the Benton Mackay. But that was my grand plan was to start at Davenport and then finish in Alabama. And when that didn't work out, I already had my shuttle reservations and everything. So I was like, well, I'm going Southbound. I think it worked out for the best. I mean, I got to start with the Smokies, which was beautiful. Also, I think it eased me into the isolation piece of the trail because the Smokies, I did see a few more people. And as I'm moving through, fewer and fewer people. So I liked the southbound direction. I, I really liked southbound as well. Like, I think it's a nice way to do that trail. And I think as an AT hiker first, the Smokies felt restrictive, you know, when you're through hiking, because, you know, you're tied to the trail and the shelters, and you don't know if you can necessarily fit in the shelter, because if people have permits and whatnot, and to be on the Benton Mackay Trail and realize, oh, the, getting your your camping permits for the Smokies isn't that stressful. And just to be on so many different trails in Smoky Mountain National Park was also a gift of that trail, too. Yeah, definitely. I think there's something really neat about popping out at Springer Mountain too and like having that when you've hiked the AT like coming back to Springer Mountain but like have become a completely different way with a completely different intent yeah it was and I'm like where am I is that Springer I think that's Springer you know and it was just that slow gradual approach and then you were there at the top it was very different very different yeah, but good sure. I'm yeah. glad I did yeah so why did you choose southbound you know it was honestly just it was because of our shuttle 
we had worked it out with some friends that lived in Asheville at the time and they were dropping us off and picking us up. And it just worked out for them to be able to chop us in the North and pick us up in the South. That was our other reason we did it. Cause everybody we had known had hiked it actually Northbound. And the only other hikers we saw were also going Northbound. So it seemed like Northbound was the more common direction, but I don't know for my husband and I are always doing things the opposite way of everybody's like, we not on purpose. We just end up going the opposite direction. It seems like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that like, as my husband and I are heading into the PCT and we're Sobo by nature of the permit that we could get, you know, there's a gift there, particularly when you're with a spouse, because you are going to be alone a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious about your shuttle. I saw you mentioned something about how you had already booked your shuttle to pick you up at Springer. And that you were like, well, that was my motivation the last few days. And I I feel like that's such a like a leap of faith to be like, well, I'm going to do this in eight days because I'm booking my (laughs) shuttle. My shuttle driver, Mary, was great, but she was very much like by the book, we need a book a time and payment in advance, which was it it definitely I was like, I am getting to that shuttle. You know, I'm (laughs) getting. Yeah, I, I didn't book it like so I talked to her maybe three days in, like once I got out of the Smokies and was at Fontana, I was like, okay, I can potentially confirm a date. But you know, then my stomach started to get rough. And it was a really interesting force driving me forward was I and so I do think the time limitations are wonderful things. Like, and I think, for me, I'm very goal oriented, and like, give me an endpoint, and I will do it. And so that ended up being a really positive thing for me. Um, because I had to get to marry my shuttle driver and she was there. And that's in a lot of the FKTs that I've done this year or in 21, there's no one there at the end. It's just me getting into my car or meeting a shuttle. And so like she became my person at the end, like that was there. And I ended up getting to there at 545 and she got there at 550. So it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, it is interesting. Like too, did it feel really different like to have somebody there like I guess she did wasn't there to witness it because for me like nobody's ever been there to really like witness my finishes you know it's just me and then I'm I'm like well I'm done now and it yeah. sort of seems kind of anticlimactic so it, yeah that's where I was like I got to that sign that was the Benton Mackay Trail end with the AT and I'm like I guess this is the end you know and then I was like I gotta go back to the plaque and I had some pictures from the plaque and they were just so funny because the look on my face was like I just need to take this picture and just to not have anyone there and you're like and I did this thing and it's over okay you know I'm gonna walk to my car the car now and I think I've gotten used to that. It did bother me in the beginning. And now it's just part of that experience for me where I feel like I am just doing it for me. And and with the Benton Mackay Trail, you know, it was harder than I expected. There were some really tough times. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure about the start. And so the whole time I'm like, well, maybe I just started in the wrong place. And I was like, this isn't going to be an FKT, but this is something for me testing what I can do. And, you know, and that's what I took with me. And and I think that's what the end represented too. I was like, this is just my experience. Nobody else's. Yeah, I think that's really great. I feel like it would be very strange to me at this point if there were people meeting me at the end of something because I have gotten so used to it. And when you are solo, when you're self-supported, you spend a lot of time in your head and to all of a sudden like pop out of the woods and people are there and they're cheering. I was like, you don't know what I've been through. Like, don't talk to me. <laughs> this moment of wanting to be that moment for yourself. 
to yeah. have it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that solo FKTs are profound in that way for you inside that it's hard. Like even when my husband's picked me up, there is a disconnect there because no one else knows what you just went through. Yeah, it's such an internal journey, even more so than that external, like your feet were going somewhere, but everything inside was on a different journey, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you're heading to the PCT southbound. Have you guys hiked PCT before? Nope, we really haven't done any West Coast hiking. So it's super, it's exciting. It's been on the back burner for a while. And it was finally the year that we both could do it another through hike together. That's awesome. I hope that it is wildfire free for you. Yeah. And yeah. and that's our concern too. And we already have plan B. And I think at this point with any PCT or any hike in the West, you just have to take that into consideration. And for us in Santa Fe right now with the wildfires we have going on, it is the foremost thing in our brains. I mean, they've just closed our forests here through December 31st if they need to. So it's the Santa Fe National Forest, the Carson and parts of the, the Cibola in, in Albuquerque. Yeah, it's crazy how that has become such a part of everything in the West, but like hiking on the PCT, it's like knowing that you are most likely going to have to go around at least one fire, if not have your hike completely upended by fire. I mean, I have quite a few friends that are on the CDT right now. They're in New Mexico. Yeah. And, you know, I saw that big announcement. I feel like this has happened before where they've right around Memorial Day weekend, they've just closed the forests. It's always just like this thing, like now what, you know, especially when you're in the midst of this big, long journey and you're on foot, it's like, well, now what do I do? You know, like the entire state is closed and that has to be incredibly difficult for people that live there, like yourself, that spend a lot of your time out there. Not only are you watching these places burn, you know, which has got to be extremely like saddening, but also like, where do you go? You can't go out to your places to recreate. Yeah. For people in New Mexico, there's heartache for our wild spaces, which are our backyard here. There's a pretty deep level of sadness as we look forward into a summer that potentially is very, very dry with closed forests. And that was the conversation with other trail running friends. Okay, where are we going to go? I guess we can go to Colorado or other open spaces in New Mexico that aren't necessarily forests. We have wonderful BLM land. Was there anything, any other stories that I didn't tell about your BMT or we didn't talk about anything you'd like to share? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So my last morning on the Benton Mackay Trail, I got up because I, I had to get to my shuttle, right? right? So you I'm like, I Mary. have to get up. I know. At 3.30 in the morning, I let the air out of my air pad and oh, I'm getting everything ready. And there was a substantial amount of hiking in the dark that morning. And so I'd heard pigs and I think there were some hunters going off because I saw headlamps, but they were headlights, but they weren't on the trail. They were just going up some hillside. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And in the dark, I knew I was hiking in a burn area that I didn't know about because I could smell it and just feel that it was burned. So it was a very visceral last morning on the Benton Mackay Trail. So I was hiking uphill and I shine my headlamp forward and I see reflectors, what I think are reflectors. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's like little reflective nails or something in the tree. And the ref it blinks. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> not, not a reflector. And so I was processing what was up there. And so I'm like, yeah, I think it's some kind of big cat. I guess it could be a coot. East Coast, I'm not as familiar with, but I'm like, maybe a bobcat, maybe something bigger. I don't know. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I had been listening to an FKT podcast 
with Buzz and somebody, another editor that were, and so two male voices. And I turned up my phone as loud as I could with people talking and yelled a little bit. And so the eyes closed and moved forward. But every like five minutes, I would see them again, just blinking at me on the trail. And so I think that lasted like 30 minutes. And then whatever cat it was just moved off the trail. And I was like, yeah, that was a fitting last morning. Because I think for us in New Mexico, having interactions with big cats is a pretty, I think that's probably what I'm most afraid of. My husband and a friend and I were trail running a trail that goes from Santa Fe ski area all the way to a campground in the Truchas area or Santa Barbara campground. And so it's a pretty remote stretch. And my husband was running ahead of us and ran into a mountain lion. And so we found him on the trail, just pasty white. And we're like, what happened? And he was like, well, there was a mountain lion and, you know, I was yelling at it. And, and it just looked at me and swished its tail. And this was in broad daylight and went away, you know. And so after that, we were all pretty hyper aware of that kind of interaction. And so I was like, look, I've had my own interaction in the dark with a cat that ended up being fine. But it was that like icing on the cake of the last morning. That is quite the way to wrap up an FTP yeah. or, or really any hike. Definitely. But again, you're like, it's the last day, it's going to be fine, right? Like, you just keep hiking forward. And I think that was the whole thing, just whatever happens, just keep going forward and and you'll get there. And you had a bon voyage from a large cat, the Ben (laughs) Mackay. Well, and I had all that morning, I'm like, what is this strange poop that was like in everybody's footsteps and like on the top (laughs) of stumps and like on other, and I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing with our listeners. It sounds like you had some really great adventures out there, and I'm looking forward to following along on your PCT hike. Thanks. And I just got your book in the mail. Like, I just got notification that I have a new book to read from you, too. So I'm super excited about that and really excited again to have you as the host of this podcast. It just is a different take on what it was previously. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I'm really excited to be the host and to help people facilitate telling their stories. Thanks, Ella, for coming on the show. You can check out all of her FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Heather on the FKT Podcast.